This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. What's out there is unknown. So at UC San Diego, out we go. Because to take on the challenges of the here and now, you've got to get your feet wet, your eyes open, and your mind out there, way out there. Turning the unknown into cures, culture, and connections with each step forward. So pack a bag, a notebook, and some sandals and get ready to look far and think further. UC San Diego. Learn more at ucsd.edu. A few days after Russia invaded Ukraine, I started reaching out to NGOs and reporters to see if I could find a way to plug in and be helpful. But unfortunately, I wasn't able to figure anything out I had heard about the International Legion of Defense on Twitter, so I called the Ukrainian embassy to inquire, but at that stage they weren't accepting anyone without military training. So I booked a flight to Warsaw, rented a car, and drove to the Poland-Ukraine border with the intention of driving refugees wherever they needed to go. I was driving down a narrow road that lines the border close to a very small town called Dorohusk, when I saw a woman and her two young girls walking out of the forest. I stopped and typed into Google Translator, do you need a ride? She nodded yes and they hopped in. As we approached Dorohusk, I noticed a policeman standing in front of the driveway. I stopped and said, I've got refugees. And he directed me to a camp which was still being set up at the Suchadolsky Palace, which was a Baroque palace built by the Suchadolsky family in the 18th century. I pulled up and a volunteer translator greeted us and eventually told me to take the refugees to Gdansk. I quickly pulled up Gdansk on my phone and saw it was about an eight or nine hour drive. The translator told me, if you can't make it tonight, go on Twitter and find someone in Warsaw, which is about halfway, to pick them up. I couldn't help but feel that it was my responsibility to make sure they made it to Gdansk. So off we went. Our communication was limited to using Google Translator, and basically all I found out was that her husband was fighting, they had to evacuate their house because of shelling, and the address I was taking them to in Gdansk was actually a train station. We eventually made it there, and just as I stepped out of my car, a man started hugging me. It was obvious he had been waiting for us. He had tears in his eyes. He was so grateful. It was a very powerful moment. I waved goodbye to that family and got back in my car and started driving back towards Warsaw. 
Along the way, I've been posting images and videos, and my dear friend Katrina decided to post a video about the work I was doing. It was through her video that I connected with a small Polish foundation called Polska Fala in a city on the west side of Poland called Falbridge. They had been busy finding accommodation for refugees, and we decided to coordinate efforts and raise awareness and support for what we were doing. Through the help of the mayor, we had immediate access to social security benefits for all refugees, and we have now successfully housed and supported over 30 families. Some women now have jobs. We organized chemotherapy for one woman who wasn't able to continue treatment in Ukraine. Kids have found schools, and one ended up with a scholarship from the local ice hockey team. The Ukrainian people I met left a lasting impression on me. They fight for freedom, for their country, and for their children. This is The Unimaginable. I'm your host and musician, James Brown. This episode features a member of parliament in Ukraine who represents the Liberal Democratic Party called Voice. Ina Sovson. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Ina Sovsun. I'm a member of parliament in Ukraine. I'm uh, 37 and I've been serving in the parliament for two and a half years now. I'm representing an opposition political party. It's called the Holos, uh, which is translated as voice into uh, English. And uh, it's a liberal political party here in Ukraine. Uh, we do have a small faction in the parliament, so it's not very big. Uh, but, uh, well, we hope to make it bigger, but that is uh, uh, yet another story to tell. But uh, shortly about my background, so I was uh, born and raised in Kharkiv, which is the second biggest city in Ukraine. It's on the east, it's uh, actually 40 kilometers from the Russian border. Uh, it has been uh, in the news recently a lot because it has been bombarded by the Russians uh, so heavily. And I was uh, growing up in the city, uh, which is mainly Russian-speaking city. So Kharkiv is a Russian-speaking city. But I was growing up in a family where we spoke Ukrainian. So I think that was the, the first thing which got me into social sciences and then politics uh, after all, because I was trying to figure out how uh, this uh, language issue can turn into a divisive uh, issue and how that can be, you know, because I could feel it very early in my in my life, uh, how me being a Ukrainian speaker was, um, you know, a factor of discrimination. So whenever every, anyone is saying that Russian language is discriminated uh, in Ukraine, well, I can tell you so many stories from my, from my kindergarten to school where I was laughed at because I was a Ukrainian speaker uh, in Kharkiv. After, uh, after graduating from high school, I uh, went to Kyiv to study in the university. It was, uh, it's called Kyiv Mohila Academy. It's a relatively small university, but it was important for me to get into that university because it was one of the very few universities back in 2001 uh, where you could get uh, into without any corruption because that was a huge issue at that time. Uh, we did get that fixed later, but, but in 2001 it was a huge issue, like corruption at the university admission. Uh, so I was very proud to get into Kiev Mohila. I was like, oh, I was so good and so happy. And uh, I studied political science. And uh, then I, after graduating from Kiev Mohila, I uh, applied to study abroad and I did my master's in Sweden, in Lund University. I studied there for a year 
uh, I was thinking about to continue some PhD studies abroad or something, but I decided to go back to Ukraine because I was thinking that, uh, oh, I should fight for my country and I should, uh, you know, uh, that's where my, my home is, that's where my family is, uh, that's the society I understand. And, and so, well, for many, many reasons, I came back. I started working for a non-governmental organization uh, doing projects mainly in education policy. So we were actually at that time, uh, Ukraine was in, making this big reform of, of changing the university admission system. And we were kind of monitoring that. And that was my job in, in that organization. And that is how I got into education policy. And also around that time, I also started teaching in the university. Uh, in Kiev Mohila Academy, I was uh, teaching, uh, still am teaching in, in the political science department. And uh, from that, uh, I, I left that organization, but I, I started my own think tank called CIDOS. And uh, our idea was that we wanted a think tank dedicated to specific areas which are under-researched and understudied in, in the public sphere in Ukraine, uh, one of them being education policy, another was uh, migration policy and urban issues. Those were issues which were under-researched, but we really wanted to focus on those. And uh, from there, uh, being ahead of the think tank, uh, uh, we were heavily involved in developing new legislation for higher education in Ukraine. And because of that, after 2014, when uh, we had the Revolution of Dignity, Maidan, the new Minister of Education was appointed, who was the rector of the university which I graduated from and in which I was studying. And he, knowing my expertise in, in education policy, and he invited me to join his team as the first Deputy Minister of Education. So first Deputy Minister is the, like, the second position in the ministerial hierarchy. So whenever the minister is, is out on vacation on business trip or anything like that, uh, now like the first deputy minister is the acting minister. So that was um, March 2014, right? Eight years ago, March 2014. Uh, you can imagine uh, what time it was because uh, that was right after the revolution. Russia annexes Crimea. The war in Donbass is starting. And um, I'm there. I was 29 when I was appointed. Uh, there were many controversy about my appointment. I surely got all those, you know, people who were saying like, oh, she's too young. Oh, she's too inexperienced. Oh, she must be the lover of the minister. And that is why she got appointed. You know, we still get those sexist comments in the Ukrainian society, I believe in, in the American society as well. Because at the same time, uh, people of my age, uh, but who were males, were not accused of being, you know, in personal relations with the minister. But uh, females always got those accusations here in Ukraine. So, um, but I got appointed and I was working two and a half years as the first deputy minister of education until the change of government. Well, I don't think I did enough, but I, I was working on higher education issues. That was my, my main uh, domain that I was responsible for. We did some good stuff there that I'm still proud of, uh, like uh, what we did in the ministry. And after that, uh, after the change in, in ministerial leadership, uh, because of the government change, uh, I went to uh, work at a private university called Kiev School of Economics as the vice president. And I launched my own program, uh, which is called uh, Masters in Public Policy and Governance, to prepare people to serve the country in public policy sphere. Uh, it's, it's a very good program. I still teach there. So I now teach in two universities. Working there, I applied um, to the uh, to Fulbright program, and I went to the States, to UC Berkeley, as a Fulbright scholar. And I spent uh, a year, well, nine months, uh, in California, 
which was fun, which is super fun. I, I miss those times now. And literally, like, I cut, came, came back in um, the night from Friday to Saturday. And on Monday, newly elected President Zelensky uh, dissolved the parliament and uh, appointed new elections. And less than a week after I was appointed, uh, a team that was uh, gathering new political party uh, to, to make uh, to run for elections, they they contacted me and said like, you know, do you want to run with us and so on. And then so I got uh, on the party list. So I was elected on the party list, not on the constituency level. Uh, we do have a different system here in Ukraine compared to what uh, you have in the US, because uh, in uh, Ukraine half of MPs are elected on uh, on. Uh, party lists and half of MPs are elected on single constituencies. So I was elected on the party list, uh, again with the whole party. Uh, I uh, served uh, for nine or ten months in the education committee, which made sense given my background. But then I switched, uh, which was something I didn't expect myself, but I switched to energy committee. Uh, which was a big change for myself, but uh, it doesn't mean I gave up education policy. I rather added uh, energy to my to my portfolio, so to speak. So I'm an open feminist. <laughs> That's what I call it here. I am proud uh, to have been called the most uh, friendly MP uh, by the LGBTQ community. Uh, I got a sign that says so. I'm in favor of rather radical reforms in education as well. That was one of the issues when I was working in the ministry because uh, educational community, academic community overall is rather conservative everywhere, I believe, well, particularly here in Ukraine. I would say that 20% of the, of the academic community in Ukraine loved me. They said like, oh my God, Finally, someone is saying what we all were waiting to say. That was the most progressive part of the academic community. And then 80% hated me, but so badly, like like so very badly. And so, so I do believe that my views are radical in terms of uh, I want radical change. I understand they are often not popular, but I also understand that if we wait too long, uh, it just makes no sense. We do have, you know, people are leaving Ukraine because they're not happy with the level of education, with, the, with many other things. So yeah, I'm kind of radical in that sense. So in terms of uh, energy, uh, I concentrated on, on several issues. The support for green energy here in Ukraine, um, for renewables, which is a contested issue here, but uh, uh, still, um, and uh, energy efficiency and energy savings. Again, huge issue for Ukrainian economy. Uh, we are extremely inefficient in terms of energy use, uh, which again will be the big problem for us after the victory. We shall definitely get more attention into that issue. Yeah, what else? That was about politics. Uh, I, uh, um, yeah, I have a son. Uh, he's uh, nine. His name is Martin. Uh, he, uh, I'm divorced with his dad, but we are on good terms and and, and all. Uh, and um, I have a boyfriend uh, who is uh, with the army right now, which I knew he would uh, rejoin because uh, he served in the army before. So I knew that he will go back to the army and um, while he's in the army right now. And from time to time, I'm getting messages from him saying that I'm alive, which is as good as it gets here in Ukraine right now. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all new 2025 Infinity QX80 join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City 
featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Oh, it's such a clutch pickup, Dave. I know, right? I was worried we'd bring back the same team. Oh, no, I meant those blackout motorized shades. MVP of the room. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. Even you could do it. Nice. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. What, you fly across the country to do the install? Nope. Blinds.com can do it all. All she had to do was pick what she wanted. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Look at you, Hall of Fame son. Oh, I just picked the winning team. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Oh, Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. He shoots. He scores. Go to Blinds.com for 40% off site-wide and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Go right now for 40% off site-wide at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. How is it to be not the most popular MP? Like, how does that affect you? And what keeps you motivated to keep going? It's tough. I I wouldn't say it's easy, right? And it's always easier to just try to be liked by by the majority. But I know that, I think I have this in my mind, I always have this final goal. Like, what am I doing that for? And I'm doing everything for my son to have a better life here than I'm having. And that is crucially important. And that is my, like, uh, like what do you call it? How I measure things. So I do, uh, and that is probably, that is the problem of our political party overall. That's why we have a rather low level of support. We do recognize that. But that is because uh, it's not just me, it's the whole party. We are saying that this is the right thing to do, even if it doesn't feel like this, this is the right thing to do right now. Because then in five years, we shall get a better society. But in in Ukraine, I think everywhere in Ukraine as well is this populist trend that has been, you know, sweeping the political uh, elites all over all over the world. It is here in Ukraine as well. And Ukraine has always been trying to find this. Let's find the middle ground so that that these people are happy and these people are happy and we shall just keep everything quiet. And and that doesn't work. That is why we are not uh, like economically speaking, we are not Poland right now. Right. If we did more radical reforms 20 years ago, as Poland did, we would have been much better economically. So I I do have an argument which is scientifically based that what I'm suggesting, be it in education, in energy, in, in economics, whatever, it is always scientifically proven. 
and it is always based on the experience of other countries. Like, I don't like the idea, like in Ukraine, we often hear that, oh, we have to, you know, to think about the Ukrainian context, it's so specific, and so on and so forth. And then we just remain within this context for years without many changes that that I wanted to see. And then I'm also seeing many people in Ukraine, uh, well, before the war, let's let's put it this way, uh, many people were not happy with the level of progress here in Ukraine and they were just leaving. Mm -hmm. Uh, well, many scientists were leaving, which is a pity. Many where where would they go? Uh, well, it depends. But many of them would go to the US. Many of them would go to the Western Europe. But I know, like like many people, like I did my masters in Europe and I came back. Many of my of my classmates in the university did the same, and and almost none of them came back because they see in a different level of life in other countries, opportunities and so on. So my approach is that we have to create new opportunities here in Ukraine and we have to learn to prioritize. And I think that is, again, another problem in the political sphere here in Ukraine. Gosh, I haven't been speaking about that for, for three weeks because uh, we were only talking about war and now we have to think back. But th I think this is a problem. Like when we do not prioritize, we are trying to keep everyone like mediocrely happy. And we don't see this big rise in, in any sphere, like any, like, so, so I was always in favor of, uh, of let's do something more radical. Let's do something more uh, tough. It's going to be unpopular. I'll give you one example. Uh, it's, it's, it's a, it's still, it remains a controversial issue in, in Ukraine and academia, but when I was serving in the ministry, uh, in Ukraine, and that's a completely different system than the American one, uh, but in Ukraine, like your career is marked by several, uh, like, statuses, let's put it this way, it, it's closer to the German system, and they're awarded based on the state uh, decided criteria. So mm -hmm. I'm not going to go into details, but what I, I stated is that uh, in order to progress in your career, you need to have, uh, previously they had like different stupid criteria, we didn't really say much about how well you are doing as an academic, but I changed that to two simple ones. First being that uh, you need to have uh, uh, peer review uh, articles published in the internationally recognized journals, which was not the case in Ukraine. You could have published here in a local rubbish paper and, and no one cared about that. Right. Uh, and you should speak English. Mm -hmm. and, and that made perfect sense to me because you cannot be teaching in the university in, you know, in the 21st century without having at least the basic knowledge of English. Because if you don't speak English, that means you don't have access to the most recent uh, uh, research. And then like what you're teaching is just making no sense. I mean, there can be some some exemptions, like, I don't know, you're teaching uh, Ukrainian uh, language and literature or whatever. But for the majority, like you cannot be teaching physics or political science for that matter if you don't speak English. So so that was my position. We did adopt this, um, this as legislation. Uh, and uh, we actually had a rapid... Uh, growing of, of different courses for the uh, for the professors in the university, where universities realize that this is the policy right now. We need to make sure that our professors are able to, you know, to, to proceed in their career. And they started teaching their professors English, which I thought was great, you know. And then, uh, and then the next minister came and she canceled that. <laughs> and I was, I was like, I was literally crying because it was very unpopular because the majority didn't want that. And I am absolutely sure 
that if she didn't change that back in 2017, in 2017, five years ago, within five years, we would have had a completely different academic sphere here in Ukraine. But because that was canceled, now people got stuck and they got stuck in all this in the model, like, like you know, modeling through, we're, we're doing okay, we're not bad, we're not good, but, you know, we could have gotten completely different results. Five years, in five years, I'm getting, I'm getting like really like, emotional when I speak about that. I think like canceling that was a stupid move. And I, yeah, but that is the kind of approach that I take. I do like uh, things more radical because I think that taking the middle ground like in the situation that we are in, it can work for stable democracy with properly functioning market economy, but not for a situation uh, that Ukraine is in, which needs, you know, rapid growth. So I lost my daughter almost four years ago, and the pain of that was completely life-changing. And with that, I can't help but think about how this invasion is forcing families to endure a level of pain and suffering that is probably unimaginable for most people. Like, what's the what's the general feeling there? How does this affect you as somebody that's you know a, a politician or someone that's you know that loves your country and and wants to to change it for good? Oh, well, first of all, I'm, I'm sorry to hear about your story. Thank and you. uh, yes, uh, I, I can't imagine the level of pain people are going through. I was uh, read and, and the stories of, of children suffering do touch me most. It's like I was reading a story uh, in Mariupol, actually, where a six or seven year old girl uh, died from dehydration. And that like that story, when I read it, it kept me kept me awake for, for a couple of nights. I couldn't sleep just because I was trying to imagine that poor mother sitting in a bunker with your do- with your child, keeping her on your arms and seeing her die. It's like, and it's 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 terrible. Probably, it would have been, yeah. It's I was trying to grasp that, but I just tried to run away from those thoughts because even thinking about that is 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 painful. The mother died herself as well, by the way. This is what Putin is doing, and this is what the world needs to know. And the world just cannot mm-hmm. not react to right. that. How have you felt about the global response to the war? I think the like first just- the, the first week or so of war, I got so irritated by a tweet or video by uh, Secretary of State Blinken. Again, we're grateful for the support we're getting and all, but the video stated like, Ukrainians are so inspiring. I'm so inspired by them. And I felt like this immense rage, like, I don't want to be inspiring. I want to be inspiring, you know, to other people, but sorry. I want to be alive and I want my child to be alive and I want to be able to go to my home and to take my son home and to, to put him to bed in the evening and, you know, do the stuff that we used to do. So so I am extremely angered by, by this lack of reaction. And I do think that there is there are many miscalculations in the Western reaction because uh, what they do not understand probably and probably something that we are seeing much better from Ukraine, from Ukraine here is that Russia is a very difficult country. We know that. Ukraine has had tense relations with Russia for centuries. So this doesn't start right now. Like, it was complicated for centuries. That is probably what, what the world doesn't know that much about. 
they were trying to ban our language they were trying to subjugate the people they were trying to uh, send some of the people to you know to distant parts of russia they they were killing our uh, like intellectuals writers and so on they, they killed uh, 10 million ukrainians in what we called holodomor which is the great famine in uh, 1932-33 so this is at least to say a complicated country still not recognized as a genocide by the majority of countries, by the way. So so we know that better, that this whole country is, to a very big extent, screwed up. I'm, I, I think that many on the West are scared to say this, that this can sound discriminatory or whatever, but it's the whole country that is screwed up, like literally. That no matter what you think, that, that I'm being too harsh or anything, well, maybe there are 10,000 people who are okay, the majority of them have left Russia by now. But other than that, the majority of people are just are just crazy. And they um, and the whole like political organization of Russia, it has never been a democratic state. It has never even attempted to be a democratic state. It never uh, like the idea of respect to human dignity was never part of their uh, internal ideology as a nation. It's crazy. That is something that is so different from Ukraine. And this is like so different from all this, like what they're saying in the, like there is Russian literature and so on. That is completely different from the Russian culture, everyday culture. And that is again, harsh to accept, but that is the biggest difference between Russians and Ukrainians is that in Ukrainian political culture, and I have many issues with Ukrainian political culture, corruption being part of that, I do recognize it. But for us, this idea of freedom is so, so internally important. Like in the history, we do, did have those uh, period of Cossacks. I think many people think they're Russian, but they're actually Ukrainian. Cossacks who were fighting basically against everyone. Then we did have a big uh, anarchist, anarchist? Anarchist. Anarchist uh, movement in the central Ukraine. Uh, and that is, again, so anarchism is not very good in terms of state building. But that is just, just to show you to what extent this society is built like horizontally, not vertical, and to what extent this idea of defending freedom is, is so much as a part of the culture. And that is why here in Ukraine we are seeing uh, people who are seeing Russian soldiers and they're not running away, but they're actually attacking them with whatever they have, like, like Molotov cocktails, bare hands, whatever. This is something that Russians would never do. And there is another uh, exp uh, like example, and I know I'm lean leaning away a little bit, but I'll get back to what I want to say. But uh, in Ukraine, we did have two histories of what we call Maidans, like large revolutions. So we stood up to the rulers that we didn't like. We went to the protests that would part was part of both in 2004 and 2013-14. Um, in Ukraine, when the police becomes too aggressive and starts grabbing people on the on the rallies, on the streets, everybody around starts fighting back and trying to take those people from the police. And then I look at the, at the protest, protest actions uh, by Russians. They see police taking a person, and at best they're just filming it on their phone. Not a single person is trying to, you know, to, you know, to save the person being taken by the police. This is so much different, like Ukraine, uh, uh, I think that's important for the world to understand. It was is that we are not similar in, in so many ways. And this, this internal idea of freedom is so important to us. And that is why we, we are expecting uh, the world to see that. And the world that is claiming to respect freedom, to recognize that right now what we are fighting for is exactly this idea of freedom for us.
Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. I admire Ina's passion for history and science and how she uses that knowledge to implement change in Ukraine. What's going on there is unimaginable. And like Ina, I hope the rest of the world increases their support to protect Ukraine's freedom. Slava Krenia. You've just listened to The Unimaginable. I'm your host, James Brown. Until next time. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.
Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter.